I V M. Welcome to All Things Policy, a daily podcast supported by Pragati, a flagship media initiative of the Takshashila Institution. We're a bunch of policy nerds based in Bengaluru, and we like to bring a fresh perspective to Indian affairs and an Indian perspective to global affairs. So grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and join us for today's chat. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the All Things Policy podcast by Takshashila Institution. And in today's episode, we'll be focusing on Australian Prime Minister Anthony Albanese's recent visit to India, which in a way marks a new chapter in the bilateral relationship between India and Australia. Along with Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi, the two leaders suggested that a comprehensive economic cooperation agreement is in the works and are hopeful it could be finalized this year. Now, it's been a couple of months since the India-Australia trade agreement, which is popularly called as the Indos Ekta, came into effect. Now, to talk about these significant developments, I am delighted to welcome Ambassador Anil Vadva in today's episode. Ambassador Vadva, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So, uh, Mr. Vadva has served in the Indian Foreign Service from 1979 to 2017 as a member and has represented the country as the Indian ambassador to Italy, Thailand, Oman, Poland, San Marino and Lithuania and including other assignments in international organizations and missions. And most recently, he was a Secretary East in the Ministry of External Affairs, Government of India, where he oversaw foreign relations with Southeast Asia, West Asia, the Gulf, the Pacific, and Australasia. We're going to focus on the latter part of his sort of work tenure, uh, focusing on the Pacific and Australia in particular. And the conversation is going to focus on some of his observations from Prime Minister Albanese's recent visit. And uh, looking ahead at, you know, into the future of India-Australia bilateral relations on various fronts. Uh, so, Ambassador Vadva, you know, just to get started, like, as I mentioned in the introduction, the Indos Ekta, you know, was received with much fanfare. There's a whole lot of enthusiasm among the business communities in both countries. Could you maybe start off by giving us a sense of the enthusiasm so far for the agreement? And as both the leaders had, you know, sort of suggested that a potential for a CECA, a comprehensive agreement, is certainly on the cards. And what would be your sort of reading of this equation? So the Australia-India ECTA entered into force on 29th of December 2022, and it promises to push bilateral trade of goods and services from the current level of 27.5 billion US dollars to 45 billion US dollars by 2030. Also, Australia aims to make India one of its top three export markets by 2035, and also the third largest Asia for Australian investments. So the ECTA agreement, in fact, aims to align Australia's competitive advantages across diverse sectors with the five pillars of India's economic development, which are focusing on structural and economic reforms investments in infrastructure, our technology-driven services, and leveraging the demographic dividend, and also reforming supply chains so that it can achieve its goal of becoming a $5 trillion US dollar economy. All I want to mention about the agreement, uh, in short, is that it will provide duty-free access to Indian exporters in some very important labor-intensive sectors, and that includes things like textiles, leather, furniture, jewelry, and machinery in the Australian market. 
because Australia has offered us uh, zero duty access to for about 96.4% of exports by value or 98% of the traded tariff lines from day one. And around 113 remaining tariff lines, which amount to 3% of Indian exports, will be phased out over the next five years. Conversely, the agreement has given about 85% of Australia's exports zero-duty access to the Indian market and lower-duty access on certain Australian exports immediately. So zero-duty access for Australia is set to increase to cover 91% of its exports by value and over 70% of India's tariff lines over the next 10 years. The agreement also has some very other interesting provisions which are uh, hidden normally behind the headlines. For example, I mentioned just two or three. It will facilitate student exchange, professionals and tourists and Indian graduates from STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and mathematics, will be granted extended post-study work visas with a bonus year of stay. And Australia has also set up a program to grant visas to 1,000 young Indians to pursue working holidays in India. And then 1,800 Indian traditional chefs and yoga teachers will be able to enter Australia as contractual service providers. What has happened subsequently is that detailed provisions to pursue mutual recognition of professional services and other licensed regulated occupations, which are actually in the form of an annex on professional services annexed to the trade and services chapter, these allow for temporary or project-specific licenses where feasible, and therefore they establish a mechanism of working groups to pursue obligations related to this issue. And this has paved the way for initiating dialogues and mutual recognition agreements, or MRAs as we call them, in nursing, architecture, and other professional services between the professional bodies. So recently, uh, you must have noticed that just before the visit of Prime Minister Albanese, we had uh, a framework mechanism for mutual recognition of qualifications, which was signed. And also the scope for Australia-India Education Council has been widened to include cooperation in skills development. So these are the kind of things that one can expect going forward. Now, progressing from there, the second part of your question is about the Comprehensive Economic Cooperation Agreement. Obviously, we've left out some very important aspects like investments. The Australia-India relationship is, in fact, an investment-led relationship. So trade will do much better if we have an investment-led trade. And because of that, although we have about $20 billion invested each side into each other's countries already, I think we are looking at increasing that rapidly because if we are, for example, going to cooperate in things like commodities, we need investments in mining in both in Australia and as well as in India. So moving forward from the ECTA, the next step in the economic partnership between India and Australia is to translate that into a comprehensive economic cooperation agreement. The reason is quite simple because, you know, this is an investment-led partnership and uh, more the investments between the two countries, the better it will be for trade between India and Australia. And moving on from there, I think uh, both sides realize this very important issue. So the first round of negotiations has already taken place. And what will be needed here would be a separate chapter on facilitation of investments. Also, further refining of the services side of the agreement on ECTA, plus putting into place 
more building blocks uh, which will be required for things like government procurement and also uh, technical barriers to trade which were left out in the first round when ECTA was negotiated. Having said that, I think if both countries do manage this agreement, a comprehensive economic partnership agreement, that would then make it one of the premier agreements around the world and would allow India to overcome the deficiencies that it faces with regard to the countries in the Asia-Pacific, the ASEAN, etc., because it would lower tariffs more than what has been done in the RCEP, for instance. So it's a win-win situation for both sides. Got it. You know, let's, let's just take a step back here and maybe take back our listeners to the time when the real impetus to the trade agreement sort of came about. And that's really with the two reports, one on the Australian side and on the Indian side. The Australian India Economic Strategy to 2035 that was authored by Peter Vergis really set the ball rolling on how both the countries would look at the bilateral relationship. But coming to the Indian side of the report, right, which was authored by you during your time at the MEA. So could you maybe give us a sense of what sectors have actually benefited the most, you know, from from the Ekta and which ones do you think there's still potential and it is not really yet taken off? Yes, so the Australia Economic Strategy Report came about because it was a counter to the Australian India Economic Strategy 2035 report. I started working on this report in 2018. It was the end of 2018, worked through it in 2019. And it was actually ready to go in early 2020. But we had a severe round of COVID infections around the world at that time, including India. And the Indian ministries undertook a series of reforms in their policies. And we thought it would be better if we could take those into account while before we release the report. So I had to undertake a new round of consultations with around 40 ministries and stakeholders in India, once again, facilitated by the Department of Industrial Policy and Promotion. And uh, this report was finally released in November of 2020 by Mr. Piyush Goel. This report focuses on, unlike the Australian report, which focuses on 10 sectors and uh, 10 states states in India, we focused on 12 major sectors, which were based on what we actually trade in with Australia. And uh, the rest of the eight focus areas were those which were the future of this relationship. And I would say that amongst the ones that we already focused upon earlier, we have actually managed to build upon it through the ECTA, which has been signed today. And that includes, you know, very important segments like financial technologies, information technology, resources, agriculture, and commodities. But the new focus areas of cooperation are the new age technologies. And there we have educational technologies. We have gaming, for example, We have sports and sports technology. We also have defense, which was not focused upon by the Australian side at all. We focused also on space and we looked at what we could do in the maritime domain together. So these are some of the new areas uh, which we thought uh, would be useful going forward in the relationship. We also paid a lot of attention to the startup sector because both India and Australia, by, by that time, had a very vibrant startup space. And we knew that it would be startups which would 
actually drive the technology exchange between India and Australia. So that's how this report became a comprehensive report. Uh, we looked at not only investments from India to Australia and identified opportunities, but we also looked at what India could offer to Australia. So it became you know, a one-stop uh, reference report where Australian investors could also go to and look it up for their work in India, whatever they wanted to do in terms of engaging states or engaging in different sectors, that became that much yeah. more easy. And going forward from that, I think the two reports then formed the basis of ECTA just before the whole process was over. The last comment in Australia also focused a lot on what they could do to add to their economic strategy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they brought about an update based on the India-Australia uh, economic strategy, which uh, we produced. So it became mutually complementary. And I think today we are reaping the benefits of all these efforts. Yeah. No, so I think that's a very important uh, backdrop uh, to this, uh, which was, uh, again, very interesting for me, uh, you know, sort of studying the developments since 2018, as you had mentioned. So just, you know, moving away from the economic uh, and say the commercial dimensions to the strategic dimension of this relationship, right? And, you know, both the, in fact, uh, Prime Minister Modi and Albanese, they, they've already met thrice, uh, you know, last year. And there have been series of high-level engagements uh, between ministers and ministries over the last couple of years. The Australian foreign minister, Penny Wong, uh, had visited uh, India uh, not so long ago and also Australia's education minister. Looking at these ministerial visits, Sravadva, do you see a change in Australia's strategy of how it looks at India in the Indo-Pacific and, you know, specifically the Quad, right? That has once again, you know, received a, a huge impetus with the ministers, you know, foreign ministers having, you know, sort of coming together sort of session here in Delhi. So do you think Australia's view of India has significantly changed? from its on its Indo-Pacific uh, sort of strategy? Yes, so definitely the Indo-Pacific is the driving force of this relationship and our strategic threats, the common strategic threats that we face, the geopolitical threats that we face, have certainly brought India and Australia much closer together. And um, in 2020, when we upgraded this relationship to a comprehensive strategic partnership, uh, we did so on the uh, because we uh, relied on the pillars of trust and reliability. Australia and India also became court partners in 2017. Mm. Uh, and since then, we've shared a vision of an open, free and prosperous and a rules-based Indo-Pacific region. And our trade ministers, keeping that in mind, had also agreed on a resilient supply chains initiative with Japan. Again, if you look at synergies and defense cooperation, those have been enhanced a lot in recent years. And we also have a logistics support agreement in place. Both sides are constantly engaged in enhancing interoperability between their armed forces. Mm -hmm. And during this visit, there was a symbolic visit by Prime Minister Albanese to INS Vikrant, which normally would not have taken place, but for the fact that now we have such close relationship between the navies uh, within the Quad mm -hmm. itself. And the Malabar exercises have become almost a routine in uh, a repetition of the uh, of what we want to do together going forward. We want to actually perfect the art of uh, logistic support and interoperability. Plus, India and Australia 
are also working closely together today in cybersecurity, in innovation, in digital economy, some critical technologies, and also in secure telecommunication network. I must say that the Indian diaspora in Australia, which has now reached about 750,000 people, uh, and the Indian students, which are which used to number around 92 million students just before yeah. COVID, they both played a very important role in this in bridging this gap between India and Australia. And even the ECTA has come about after 10 years of negotiations. Why did it suddenly come about? Is because we recognize each other as partners who could be a force multiplier if we work together in all these different sectors. And you're absolutely right that as far as the Indo-Pacific is concerned, uh, whether it's the Indian Ocean, where India has its own worries, or whether it's the Pacific, where Australia has its own worries, we want to play a role together and we want to work together. And that's pretty clear from the direction in which the relationship is going today. Yeah. Uh, So, Ambassador, in in that context, do you think it's maybe time to sort of move away from the China factor that binds together the India-Australia relationship? So, you are absolutely right there. I think China was in the background Mm -hmm. of uh, this relationship. Uh, Australia wanted to diversify its trade and investments uh, when uh, there was not only, um, you know, uh, an issue uh, in terms of the Chinese reduction in Australia's exports, pressure on Australia was was brought to bear. Um, Also, the Chinese interference in the internal affairs in Australia, the influence that it peddled amongst the politicians, that became very clear around 2017-18. And around that time, Australia woke up to the fact that it had to find new partners for uh, diversification of its exports. So it looked at India, it looked at countries like Indonesia, Uh, which were large markets and at the same time could absorb what Australia produced. India, of course, is in a different class now because it's moved on to an e-mobility program. So is Indonesia, but the Indonesian program is much smaller compared to what India has. And the requirements of India are very huge. We also opened up a mining sector where Australia is very strong. Uh, We also have... Um, sectors where Australia can play a key key role, for instance, in our uh, toll roads and highways, in the infrastructure side where ports and mobility have become very important, and uh, new areas which I mentioned to you earlier like uh, defence cooperation, Mm -hmm. co-production, and space technologies, because Australia has embarked upon a very ambitious space program very recently, India is quite advanced in this field and it's also very competitive price-wise for components and for launches. And here Australia finds it a big advantage to work with a country like India. So all in all, we are looking at a situation where Australia can easily dissociate itself from the China factor. Mm -hmm. And it also has its own momentum. This relationship between India and Australia has now its momentum. Whatever happens in terms of other relationships, uh, I think this relationship is on a roll. It will continue like this in the future. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, we'll just take a quick sort of break and come back pretty soon. And we're back after that break. 
So I'm speaking with Ambassador Vadva on the India-Australia ties. Uh, Ambassador Vadva, just wanted to also get your thoughts on India's ongoing G20 presidency, right? And it's it's really brought to fore India's leadership in various sectors. Uh, you spoke of the cooperation with the Australians on major sectors, uh, be it in the, in the startup space, be it in the industrial space. What do you think are some of the areas of immediate cooperation or outcomes that both the, both the countries can work together towards within the framework of the G20? So look, as far as the G20 is concerned, um, you know, um, one of the areas where both sides share commonality is on strengthening of multilateralism. Because, you know, both countries have benefited from promoting international cooperation on global issues. And we need a revitalized multilateralism to adequately address the contemporary global challenges of the 21st century. Both India and Australia are pretty clear that the WTO, for instance, should be an organization which should be working for the good of the multilateral trading system. Mm. And that it needs some reform to improve its functions, form of the dispute settlement mechanism, for example, which is very important. The second issue is on food and energy security. Now, of course, Australia is very well endowed in terms of both food production and also energy. But at the same time, it realizes that unless supply chains of both food and agricultural products, including fertilizers, are reliable, open and transparent, uh, there would be problems in terms of uh, promoting um, sustainable, efficient and inclusive and resilient agriculture and food systems, which is very important for Australia to maintain its uh, export markets, for instance. Now, in recent years, India has graduated to the same level, and it does feel that um, we need to keep on sustaining this increase in in our profile on both these accounts. India, of course, is a net importer of uh, oil and gas, but we are self-sufficient in food. So therefore, you know, a sustainable and resilient supply chains are important to both countries. Now, on climate change and biodiversity, again, there was a phase in which the Australian governments were not paying much attention to uh, climate change because Australia is a commodity-led export-oriented economy and coal played a very important role in the Australian exports. So successive governments were under pressure from the coal lobby in Australia and indeed from other commodities to not to take the leadership role in this regard. But the current government seems to have realized that unless that is done, the leadership of Australia in terms of the Pacific Island states, for example, will definitely suffer and it will actually be uh, detrimental to the Australian image around the world. Mm. And therefore, this government seems to have changed the stance. India has taken the lead, as you know, in this regard. It set its own targets. It's done very well in terms of achieving those targets over the last couple of years. And going forward, our government is very much committed to climate change. Mm and also ensuring that financial flows are available for the developing countries to the global south, as we call it, to uh, solve the climate problem. Then on global health, both India and Australia have worked very closely together, especially with the ASEAN countries and the Pacific Island states. And we have a bilateral vaccine program, which is on 
we are part of the quad vaccine initiative in which the production you know takes place in india and the distribution aspect is uh, taken care of by australia we also have a science and technology fund which uh, looks at vaccines as a very big chunk of that program for development cooperation again i think india has taken the lead uh, but here australia realizes that the fact that it's situated in the pacific the island states around it will definitely uh, look for it to take the lead here and again there is a meeting of mind where there is actually a meeting of minds much more than all these mm. issues is on new and emerging technologies right. you know we have to strengthen our bilateral cooperation sharing of information and effective uh, mutual assistance is crucial in this respect uh, because there is a threat from outside states and we know who they are yep. um, which can actually subvert the systems in our countries and similarly for counter terrorism mm. india and australia always work together we work together in illicit trafficking diversification of small arms and light weapons and also we have worked together in the united nations in this mm. context in counter narcotics in the indo pacific and in the asean framework and also in global skill mapping both india and australia uh, have taken the lead recently and you you go back to 2004 since then india and australia have cooperated on humanitarian assistance yeah. and disaster disaster risk reduction and of course now india is in the lead in gender equality and women's empowerment which has been a strong point of australia all along in the united nations and related bodies so all in all i think we have a big convergence uh, as far as the g20 agenda is concerned mm-hmm. we may not have a convergence on the way we look at the war in ukraine yep. but that perhaps i could think of as the only point on which there is some amount of diversification in terms of thinking and how this is how we should move forward in the future just finally you know so you spoke uh, earlier on about the mechanism for mutual recognition of educational qualifications or the mreq uh, that was signed earlier this earlier last year so I, i just wanted to get your thoughts on you know the recent development whereby deakin university right have now set up the first uh, foreign university campus in india and marking their foray into the higher education sector here what do you think is the reason why australia's education export has done so well and and is the complementarity between both countries just so you know it just has just come into fruition you know in the education sector so just just your sort of closing thoughts on that yes so you know there is definitely there is much more commercial opportunities which have arisen for australian universities in india and i mentioned to you the number of students that are already there uh, studying in australia it's a huge number and when you look at our diaspora in in australia that's also growing right. so obviously there is there's a need there was a need for indian qualifications to be recognized in australia and um, you know as far as the the nep is concerned the indian new education yeah. policy that has opened the doors for australian universities to enter india in a big way the gift city you know environment is ideally suited because here the australian uh, university regulations apply within the gift city so it's an experiment that 
Deakin University and Wollongong University are undertaking over there. I'm sure there would be other campuses that they would be looking yeah. at. They'll probably enter into more collaborations through joint ventures, etc. Australia has opened up a new scholarship called the Maitri Scholarship for Indian students yeah. to study in Australia for two, uh, four years, and that is uh, is something that uh, we can expect uh, on a much larger scale going forward. Now. Australia will always welcome foreign students because its own student community is not enough to keep all these universities mm. going, and India uh, seems to be a market which will continue to be there on the horizon. There are a variety of reasons why students in India would welcome, for example, dual degrees, mm. and the Australian universities are adapting more and more to that kind of a study, where both. Dual degrees will also be recognised for educational qualifications, both in India and in Australia. And this is what the framework mechanism for mutual recognition of qualification does, which has just been signed before the visit of Prime Minister Albanese. We also will be seeing much more people-to-people -people connect because of the increasing economic cooperation going mm -hmm. forward. During the pandemic, if you recall, we had tremendous cooperation. By way of educational technologies, and here you know the training the trainers program has also become very popular and important in India. Yeah, no, so as you rightly mentioned, I think with the passage of time, the ties have actually evolved in the direction of you know uh, what is called as a strategic relationship, which looks at all sort of facets uh, of economy, of uh, foreign policy, of uh, education, and also uh, multilateral agenda. And yeah, I mean, it's it's really a year to look forward to for those following, you know, the India-Australia space uh, most definitely. Ambassador Badwa, thank you, thank you so much for joining us uh, on today's episode. It was a delight to talk to you. Thank you very much. If you liked our show, don't forget to check out other interesting podcasts on the IVM network. You can tune into them on the IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com. Or wherever you listen to your podcasts, you can also follow IVM on social media. The handle is at IVM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And hey, if you'd like to dive into Takshashila's research on technology, strategy, and economic affairs, check us out at our Twitter handle at Takshashila Inst or our website takshashila.org.in.